This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. This is Jennifer Milner, and I'm here with co-host Dr. Linda Bluestein. Hello, everyone. And before we introduce today's guests, we'd like to first remind you about how you can help us help you. So first, subscribe to the Bendy Bodies podcast and leave us a review. This is helpful for raising awareness about hypermobility and associated disorders. Second, share the Bendy Bodies podcast with your friends, family, and providers. We really appreciate you helping us grow our audience in order to make a meaningful difference. This podcast is for you. Our guest today is Rachel Neville, a New York City-based commercial dance and movement photographer who is out to eradicate the starving artist conversation that so many dancers and artists have been taught to believe. Through the power of marketing, education, and stunning visuals, she believes dance companies, choreographers, dancers, and artists of all mediums can achieve the success, visibility, and notoriety they work so hard for. A multi-talented artist who utilizes the medium of photography, Rachel is a former dancer and teacher. Her images are informed as much from her dance history as they are from her innate creative vision and her clients' visual needs. Rachel, hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies. Hey there, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we're super excited. Um, let's just jump right in. Rachel, can you tell us um, how can artists walk that tension of producing content that interests and excites followers while not encouraging the more extreme or dangerous trends that we sometimes see on social media? Yeah, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one to start off with because it really comes in two parts almost. Um, that, uh, because we naturally and inherently as humans have uh, a curiosity when we see things that are slightly abnormal. Um, so I think that's where the, the general population uh, and dancers specifically tend to get drawn into the massively contorted or hypermobile shots, you know, as much backbend as you've got, or, or how high can your legs go? Can they go beyond one, uh, 180? And it's eye-popping because human bodies aren't really meant to do that, right? So it's that, it's that um, you know, that surreal effect that I think we all love. Uh, combined with gorgeous lines and geometry that is just, it's, it's, it's eye-catching. And it's really, you know, it's a little hard to get away from that sometimes because you just, us as uh, vendors, providers, whatever you want to call us, us that work in the industry, we know what goes into that. And we know the dangers behind that. Uh, we know that they're not often uh, technically correct or safe to do. In fact, oftentimes they're really dangerous to be doing them. In fact, sometimes they're really dangerous to be doing over and over again. Uh, but they are what gets you noticed on social media often. Um, and I think that became increasingly prevalent over the last 40 years in dance. Um, you know, I remember when I was training and Sylvie Guillaume was the first one with the perfect 180 and we all went, oh, oh my God. 
wanted to be filming Yam when I was 12, you know. Um, Didn't everybody? <laughs> yeah. That's it, right? And you see those shots and you're like, man, I want to look like that. But it's also the physical aspect of dance is one thing, but it's the emotional and the, the narrative and the energy and the passion and the storytelling that comes through. Um, I don't want to say that it took a backseat in the last 40 years, but certainly it, you know, kind of does it. I mean, that's another topic of conversation, really. Um, but that's where your question comes in, uh, or your original question comes in to the tune of, you know, where do we, how do we, how do we manage that? Do we need to post that? Do we not need to post that? Uh, you know, do we create and cap and cultivate an audience without those eye popping shots? Can we do them all together? Or do we find what is our authentic self? And this is where I kind of lead my clients to. I, I think the most important thing uh, right now, especially in the oversaturated social media markets, are, is to find your authentic voice and really be strong and clear in it and find your power in being really who you are and what you have to offer as a dancer. Um, what is your, you, you know, what is your it factor? What is your secret sauce? What are you really passionate about? And I think that goes just as, uh, just as far as, and oh my God, my hips look like they're going to pop kind of <laughs> shot. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that can be just as effective. Uh, does it necessarily get you the volume of followers and likes? If that is your goal, if your is your goal to be an influencer uh, as, as opposed to an artist now, then there's that other side of the conversation. Can you be an influencer and artist at the same time, which is not what you're asking me. Um, but, you know, it depends on what your goals are. It depends on where you want to land and, and what you're passionate about, for sure. Sorry, that was a really long roundabout way of <laughs> answering that question. I'm not even sure I answered it, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, but the question is all about that tension. And as you said, can you be an influencer and an artist at the same time? I mean, there, that sort of tension exists every day today. And we see it in every form of social media. And so it sounds like you're saying that you do feel that responsibility to sort of um, to, to offer healthy contributions to the dance world and to not just to, to try to find your own way of handling that tension and growing artistically and offering things that fulfill your creativity while still being a, a healthy reflection of what is possible. I think that's really necessary. I mean, I think that uh, you mentioned the term responsibility. Do I feel a sense of responsibility? I think I do to a certain extent in that I was a dancer. I was a teacher. I'm a mom now. And there's so much that I see out there that is and um, things that I would see that I wouldn't necessarily want my kids doing. I have two girls. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not to say that it's not right for other people. Uh, but there are other choices. There are other ways of doing things. There are, there are healthful ways of being. There are healthful ways of shooting. There are healthful um, and authentic ways that we can contribute to social media and society and ways that we can lift up the art of dance rather than bringing it, uh, bringing it to the circus and the gymnastics, which don't get me wrong, I like circus and gymnastics just as, you know, just as much as the next person, for sure. But... I think 
knowing what your limits are and knowing what you want to project and and who you're you know again that actually comes back to marketing 101 who are you trying to attract who's your target audience right if you're trying to attract uh you know 9 10 11 year olds to your feed or people who are new to instagram to your feed i have my i have kids in that age range and they don't i don't let them have phones um but if that's your goal, then the bendy, crazy circus shots might be the thing to attract them. You have to consider mm-hmm. who else you're attracting with those types of shots. Um, if your uh, target is to get into a ballet company and you want to be a principal dancer at such and such or such and such, uh, you know, there's so much more that goes into that. And, the, and there are other ways of working your marketing to develop your following and your and in the attention of the people that you want to be looking at your at your work and what you're putting out there that would be you know again coming back to that word authentic to to who you are as a dancer well and i think that all comes back to um how can you be your authentic self but as you said earlier also what's your goal here? And that's a conversation I have with my dancers regularly. If they come to me and say, I want you to help me improve my, my flexibility, or I want to get my oversplits or what? And I'm like, why, what are we trying to get out of this? Yes. If we, what are the Insta followers going to get you? Where, where are you going to be in your career in 10 years? If you accomplish this, like, what are we hoping for on this? So do dancers come to you, um, which I'm sure they probably do. If they come to you with a pose or an action or, or something that you feel is perhaps not the healthiest, um, how do you have that conversation with them? And how do you help steer what's going to happen next in the shoot? Yeah, so great, Uh, great question. Uh, So frequently the way I work, uh, the way I work is incredibly different than a lot of other photographers. Um, I don't, uh, I I very rarely have dancers that come to me with poses. uh, it's an organic process. And because of my background in history, you know, it's, it's much like you, Jennifer, the a dancer walks across the room and you know, almost everything there is to know about their body before they, even, you know, hit an arabesque, you know, the dancers are warming up and there's, and, and while I'm watching while they're warming up, I know which foot is better than the other foot. I know by, by that, I mean, flexibility wise, you can see the muscle tone, you can see the, 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 the posture, the way they move, um, you know, I, I know. So because of that, when they step out onto my psych, um, I already inherently have a sense of their uh, somewhat of their level um, and possibly their strengths and weaknesses uh, to a certain extent, not until they really start to move. Um, and then I really only start working shots that are appropriate for that. I don't tend to go outside of things that, and, and sometimes I'm, I'm surprised. Sometimes then they'll throw something out there. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea. Okay, let's work into that. Um, but it, I, I don't really usually have conversations into steering people away unless occasionally with competition kids, we'll all have more of that. And then they'll show, they'll do something. And then it becomes, if it's clear that it's, a little bit outside of their range, then sometimes we work into it. Um, 
but if it's way outside of their range, then I have ways and tricks to like distract and get them around into something else that is also just as exciting as what they were wanting to do. Um, and I'm super conscious of that when I teach other photographers how to shoot dance. I, it's something that I talk about um, how to deviate and do this in case that there's something that's that's not there. But the second part of that conversation is that I build my shoots from the beginning. We never, ever, 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 and guys, can I say this again? We never, ever start with things that are physically not ready for. Um, you have to sort of treat a shoot like a class. You would never do Grumbatma before you do plies, ever. You just don't do it. You're not ready for it. It's not going to be good. Nothing's going to feel right, and you're going to rip something. Just don't do it. It's the exact same thing for a shoot, where we build slowly, two feet on the ground, finding centers, finding supporting legs, finding lines, finding all the bits and pieces of the body as they are in space, because it's very different to be working in front of a camera than it is in a studio or on a stage. It's a completely different setting. Um, the things that you focus on, it's not a mirror across from you. It's, you know, there's a camera and there's screens and there's like stuff. You have to get acclimated to this. There's lights, there's this, there's that. It's a totally different experience. And to be able to find your center and find how to work it well in front of a camera, which is another thing, takes time. Uh, usually takes like half an hour to 45 minutes to sometimes even an hour, an hour and a half, depending on the dancer to really understand the process and sink your teeth into it. And at that point, then we have freedom to be able to work alternate shots, right? Or harder shots, as we would suggest, like, I'm never going to throw anybody into a jump until at least halfway through the shoot ever, like ever, like ever. It's Rachel rule number 78. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, and I, I've had several dancers um, do shoots with you, as I've, as I've mentioned to you before. And the feedback that I consistently, I mean, I get so much great feedback about you, but one of the things they love is that the, the shoot starts very slowly. Like they don't walk in and just start doing arabesque shots, which is what no, 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 some no. people do. But they said that the time that you take with them, helping them find which angle is going to work best and which leotards are the most comfortable and flattering and and just the process that you go through before you even start taking pictures helps them has made them feel very comfortable and very like we're in this together and now we're ready to invest in the next step so I can see I can see what you're saying with that yeah it's so important to lay that foundation and you know the dancers that I shoot regularly we we they what I tell my dancers, generally speaking, is the first shoot is the hardest because there's so much that they have to learn in order to feel confident and comfortable to get to the point where they understand, A, the process, B, how to do it, C, where their lines are and, you know, how to acclimate in front of the camera. And once that clicks, you can't unclick it. Once that happens, you kind of, it's like, there's a, mo it's sometimes not a moment, but it's just all of a sudden the dancers are self-correcting. They kind of get it, the flow, all of a sudden the sh shots start coming faster mm -hmm. and faster. So the first time is the hardest taking about, usually about an hour to an hour and a half to get there. The second time it's, they still have to go through that process, but it's less time. By the third time we're rocking and rolling, by the fourth time it's like, you're good to go and you will get good shots. Um, but it does take time. It's like, it's practice. You have to practice. It's not something that, 
everybody steps in front of a camera and is just automatically amazing. It doesn't matter how amazing a body looks or how flexible a body is. It has to do with the torque in each joint. It has to do with the sh literally the shape of what your leg looks like, not how flexible it is, uh, which angle it shoots at best. It, it has to do with, you know, how much twist you have in your spine. It has to do, is your, is your, we can't put your arms over your head because you're short from here to here and there's not enough space for the, you know, like all kinds of things like that. Um, but once they learn that and once they learn the systems and what works well and what doesn't work well, then, and I think that's foundationally important to our whole conversation here because without that, Dancers tend to throw themselves into things, hoping, praying, kind of, I think it's going to be good. And we wind up with putting dancers in dangerous positions because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know exactly where to be and how to place themselves and how to prep and how to set up a shot um, so that they're doing things over and over again, hoping for a different result, but not realizing that it's not going to be a good shot because you just didn't turn to the right angle kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where we wind up ending having dancers do shots over and over and over again without and getting more and more frustrated and more and more anxiety building up in them going, why can't I get this? Right. And then we're losing our technique and then we're running into injuries. So the foundational elements of how to shoot well in front of a camera are just as important as the buildup and the flow of the shoot are just as important as are we using our stomach muscles to strengthen our spine while we are whacking our leg, you know? So it's, it's an all encompassing process that is, I think, incredibly important for dancers to understand. And the, the point about fatigue and injury is so, so important because that is such a huge risk factor for injury. And I don't know if a lot of people would normally associate that with a potential issue with a photo shoot. So I think that's fantastic that you're bringing that up because your approach is so well thought out. It's so uh, methodical mm -hmm. and, and really trying to capture, like you said, the essence of, of the dancer and not just, you know, a few flashy images. In terms of a dancer and their hypermobility and the long lines that, that can come with that, um, that can be a selling point, you know, to companies and shows. How do you help dancers capture the full extent of their lines, but in a healthy way? Yeah. So we build every shot that we work towards. And as I was mentioning earlier, we build the entire shoot leading up to, so there's sort of two components to that, three really. Um, and, and the one is that if I am looking for a season at the fourth or fifth or sixth shot in that I have to develop, it's much like, again, coming back to bar, you have to develop the supporting leg and you have to develop their understanding of I'm probably going to need to be at this exact angle in order to achieve a really good shot. Um, so I'm building in the concepts that they're going to need to get that shot uh, at this stage in the shoot from the very first moment that they're walking in the door, really. Mm -hmm. um, but more specifically when they step out onto my paper or psych and they're, and I'm, I'm leading them towards those types of things that I know that we're going to need. Um, the second part is in every individual shot. And this is why when people work with me, we're not working for 20 or 30 or 40 images in a session. We're working for a much smaller number of shots um, because we really spend a ton of time on each shot and we build it. So by that, I mean, 
we build out where the supporting leg is. We build out the working leg. And then when we've got those going, then we fully flush out exactly where the torso needs to be, what exact arm line needs to be, because all of this um, uh, actually needs to be translated, three-dimensionally needs to be translated into 2D. And so we have to um, manipulate lines to get that. By that, I mean an arabesque, for example, if this is um, if you can't see me on the screen here, an arabesque that would be your your fingers would be in line with your shoulder naturally, but oftentimes for shooting we have to bring the arm across our nose mm. a little mm. bit. We're, we have to flatten things and shift mm -hmm. the perspective of the camera and the and the medium that it's going to be used on or seen on. Um, but by doing that again methodically, so that we are really making sure that dancers really actualize the. Um, muscle memory that goes into creating a shot because it's different than it would be on stage. Um, we are able to make sure, A, that the technique is being shown to its best advantage, but B, that they're doing it in a healthful manner, right? So I can absolutely see they're not going to just peak a whack and arabesque and then, the, the, you know, 40 times later when they're disappointed in the shot and they're not understanding why they're not getting it. So by, by utilizing the system that I've developed over the last 10 years, we're placing everything. We're getting everything where it wants to be. We're setting up the shot correctly. I don't let them go. Like they don't even attempt a movement without being correctly set, thereby safety, maximizing their lines, but also keeping in mind the safety mechanisms that we need to build into a shot. But the third, the, the third part of that, that I, and this is the area that I really love is by building, by working through that system, you're really able to have the dancers feel confident and free to express themselves because there's not the anxiety of I'm not going to look good and I'm afraid I'm going to not look good and I'm afraid I'm not going to look good. And one more time, I'm afraid I'm not going to look good. Right. They know that they're going to look good and they're and, and that they're confident and they're safe, which slows the brain down, which slows the whole process down by which we can really focus in on the bits and pieces and then their energy is able to sing and we're not doing things in a dangerous way. I That's amazing. Go ahead, Jen. <laughs> I, I love that such a big part of that is making them feel safe and confident because all physical visual artists, whether it's dancers, skaters, gymnasts, circus artists, you know, we are constantly judged for the way that we look. And it's so difficult to separate out us the commodity from us, the human and putting ourselves in front of a camera lens. You know, I've said so many times, if YouTube had been around when I was dancing, I don't, I think I would have retired way sooner because <laughs> I, I think that I was a much better dancer than I probably was, but there's not a lot of video proof. So I'm safe. Um, just, there's a different image in your head of what is actually going to be happening. So when someone walks into your studio, you know, we are, we are putting out without words what we're trying to do. And yet most of our training doesn't include teaching us how to do anything other than the technical aspect of it. So how do you help these artists express themselves, like find that place where they can express who they are and their emotional inner self in, in these photographs? So I really love that question because the focus as a pre-professional dancer specifically, probably in other genres of movement as well, becomes so focused on the physical uh, as it needs to be. Um, because there's, especially nowadays with the huge volume and range of what dancers are expected to master before they're company ready. I mean, it's well beyond what it was when I was, when I was dancing. 
Um, and I'm sure 10 years from now, we're going to be flabbergasted one more time. <laughs> <laughs> what the are. Um, but because it's so, it, it's like keeps growing, keeps growing, there's just not enough studio time. There's not enough hours in the day. We're still, we have all these increased expectations, but yet we're still limited with the 24 hour day, 356 days of year. Um, so what tends to get put on the wayside is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes is the artistic vision. It is the narrative. It is the why are we actually doing what we're doing? How are we communicating with the audience? What, it, what are we here to really achieve? Um, so sometimes it's incredibly difficult to get dancers to break out of that right and the younger they are the more difficult it is because they're still in the the formative stages of it's my body it's my body it's my body and then sometimes it's oh do you want me to smile or not smile and that's about the extent that you get um for the younger ones uh for the for kids this is my uh, a, a large part of my demographic is 16 to 24 year olds um you get to that stage and i think the most important thing is to have dancers know that you have their back, that you're not going to let them have shots that do not look good, that they do not look as technically strong as they absolutely can possibly look. And that's something that I instill in the dancers from the minute they come in the door at some point in the first little while, as I'm teaching, we always start with headshots first so I can teach them how to use their face and how we communicate about face. Um, and that they understand the tiny, tiny little differences in the in in, in range, like the, the difference between a micromillimeter one side or another, it changes the shape of your nose. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we talk about these things so that they start to understand the process and they start to, it's like that anxiety of, I just want to look good, I'm afraid I'm not going to look good, starts to calm down. Then when they are able to see the process by which we get the shots and we get a few that they're like, wow, I didn't think I could look like that then they start to understand the interest in the process. And when they understand interest in the process and or interest in me or and or interest in, in, in Andrew, um, then that, that the confidence naturally comes as we build out good shots. And then when they understand, and it really only happens at this point, when they understand that they really are gonna look good, that they're able, again, it's that anxiety level, that psychological factor comes down so that we're able to push through energy that is speaking to us more. So we're able to really do silly things. I mean, it's a little silly, but say like bubbles, and then you get them to like brighten up, right? Or using <laughs> your voice and inflection to try to push energy back and forth, or it's like now we're talking about that. And then we're using adjectives to bring through the energy, and then we're keeping their target audience in mind. Do we need some that are happy? Do we need some that are sad? Do we need moody? Do we need this? Do we need neutral? Do we? And then that conversation can, can flow through. But you can't really get there until you calm the psyche down in relationship to, I'm afraid I'm not going to look good. Mm -hmm. like nothing happens until you get that. I, that's, that's beautiful that that's the place that, that it has to start. Cause you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter how pointy your feet are or on top of your leg or anything. If you can't surrender that fear and surrender that control to the person behind the camera. So, so are there other things that you wish like, before a dancer comes in to do a shoot with you, what do you, what would you like them to know? <laughs> what do you wish that they knew? <laughs> Other than you're not going to make them look bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the process takes time and it's different for everyone. 
Um, I think that's one thing that I wish all dancers would understand that they uh, come in with a sometimes thinking that depending on their their level and their background and their strength and flexibility and all those kinds of things, I think uh, because I, I would have each one of those different segments know something different. Um, however, I think that my hope is that, that they come in understanding that it's a process and that it takes a little bit of time to understand and get into it and have patience with themselves because so many dancers come to this and think oh you know i i did a shoot outside and i threw up a leg and i kind of like the shot and oh yeah i can do this yeah it's not the same in a studio you have nothing to distract from mm -hmm. every last little bit of technique that you've got and different cameras and different lenses and different locations and different this and different that's really different when you're this big in a shot or when you're like the whole shot right so uh, to, to just have patience and, and understand that it takes time to, to build, to build your repertoire, to build your knowledge base, to build your expectations and understanding of what's, what's about to happen. Um, I wish that dancers would know more, honestly, this is really a big wish for me, that they would know more about marketing and how that, and, and how that first piece of the puzzle that we were talking about works because mm -hmm. Um, you know, what are your expectations? What are you shooting? Why are you shooting it? If it's, if it's to further your career, that's one thing. If it's for you to pass around with your friends and just have fun, that's a different thing. Um, if it's for your mom's book on the table or, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> um, that, and that's again, something different. And each one of those different, um, goals requires a different way of working, right? So uh, I think that's that's important to know. Um, but lastly, I think I really wish dancers would come in and just be kind on themselves, be gracious um, and and understand that we what makes a great shot is so often not just your technique. It's like all the power and the energy and the expression and the authentic you and and, and how to get there. Um, as we were mentioning before, is sometimes a little foreign to the dancers. So again, to, to be kind and gracious of yourself and, and pick, pick working with photographers that will allow that to happen. That sounded a little strange, but you know what I mean. <laughs> nope, absolutely. No, definitely. And, and dancers often feel voiceless. Um, can you suggest some ways that a dancer can communicate with a photographer during a shoot, um, express uncertainty or say no to a certain pose or movement? That's a new concept for me that dancers often feel voiceless. I mean, does that, that I don't find that with my dancers. Um, <laughs> It is because I encourage them to speak and speak with me regularly and constantly from the beginning. But I also know that there are a lot of dancers that work with photographers who are not former dancers yes. um, and are not teachers and or weren't trained by me. Um, so the process is different. Uh, and that I'm imagining, I imagine that's what you're really asking me, um, how, how, we, how we handle that. Right. Um, I think having as much clear and concise communication before the shoot happens is the best way to go. Um, 
knowing exactly what the expectations are. I mean, if there, there are different types of shoots, right? If you're doing a test shoot with the photographer versus if you are paying for their services versus if a photographer approached you and is going to pay you. Um, uh, these are all different circumstances, but the more you can communicate your expectations and understand the photographer's expectations down to a pretty granular level, you guys, um, that means what are, you know, what kind of poses do you want? What type of styling do you want? Where are we going to be? How long are we going to be shooting for? What do you expect out of the shot? Who, uh, how many images will I receive? What are my expectations of what you will do with the images afterwards? That's often a sticking point that you should know about in advance of shooting um, because uh, photographers own copyright. So, you know, you want to know where and what is being happening with those images. Um, uh, one thing that is coming up now with the SMP clients that we have out in the world that I've, I've trained them to shoot and now they're doing shoots and getting paid for it. Um, uh, some of the things that I'm hearing coming back from them is uh, being very specific about timelines. You know, it not just I'm going to have access to 20 images or five images or a hundred images or whatever it is at the end of the shoot. But by when can I expect those? Because if that's part of your um, agreement and then you have to wait six months or a year to have those come in, that's a little, you know, back and forth. Um, and lastly, I would absolutely, I'm sure there's more than this. This is just off the top of my head, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> But lastly, I think uh, knowing uh, and asking what their retouching policy is, is important because there's a proliferation. Is that how you say that word? And Andrew, <laughs> they're nodding. <laughs> um, there's a proliferation of overly liquefied shots going around right now. Mm -hmm. If you're not familiar with what that is, that's there. Are, it's a Photoshop. Uh, tool that has now been translated into apps that you can manipulate um, what you look like mm -hmm. on your phone, um, make your legs look skinnier, change the shape of your feet, all that kind of thing. And you start to see that out there. Um, and then you start to see photographers who are very used to a particular genre of women changing women's body shapes into, you know, different different shapes kind of thing. So what are their policies on that? What can you expect coming out of that? What are your expectations? What do you want? What's, you know, ethical? That's another conversation, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all of those types of things. Um, I would also kind of circling that whole conversation back around to what we've been actually talking about here. I would also, if it's a new a photographer to dance that the that the girls start to be very specific about their needs in terms of safety so if they're right. shooting out shot outside make sure that it's safe make sure that you know you're not being put on into precarious positions that could potentially end your career or end your training for six months right so you um, stand on a ledge that's two feet off the ground and maybe you feel comfortable because it's a foot wide, but you whack a leg and then you fall and down you come and there goes your ankle and you're out for six mm -hmm. months. Was that shot worth it? Mm -hmm. right. I don't know about that. Um, 
or are you shooting in a location where the ground is not stable or there's not, you know, a really serviceable platform to be able to, you know, it's just not safe. Um, and again, you pull, you don't think too much of it. You're trying, you really want that shot. It's going to be really cool. Your photographer says, oh my God, it's going to be really cool. Let's just keep going two more times. Right. And then all of a sudden, and you pull something and then you're out for two weeks, you're out for a month. Was it worth it? Right. So I think safety first and being able to communicate with your photographer right away about those types of expectations. I would do them in advance. Right. Don't be shooting when you're too cold. We all know what that does to our muscles. And if it's too cold outside, don't do it, you guys. It's not worth it, right? Um, and then I think if you can communicate the process by which you're, expect you're expecting to work or ask the photographer, like, how do you get a shot? How many times, you know, comes back to the whole conversation around how many times am I going to need to do this in order for that photographer to get it? Are there alternate ways of working? to make sure, especially if you're working with a photographer that's new to dance and they're not sure of their timing on this and you find yourself whacking that leg a hundred times to get them to go, maybe there's alternate ways to communicate to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, I, I um, train my photographers to watch and see so that you don't have to use counts, but counts might be a way to do that if they're not familiar. Um, and then make sure that you stipulate, like, I really can only do this three more times. I really can only do this two more times and be really comfortable and confident in that. In fact, I ask the dancers when we're doing something really hard, how many more do you have in you? You have two. Great. We're going to do one. Right. Because it's like, you just, you, you can't take those chances. And this is such great information and it's such incredibly important information because like you're saying, these are young dancers in, in many cases that if they do get an injury, it can be life altering or career altering. And in the heat of the moment, there's so much pressure to, you know, they want to please the photographer. They want to try to get right. that image. And so they're, they're not used to, they're not used to saying no to choreographers, of course, yeah. or their teachers. So um, I think it's such an important conversation to have in advance when they can really be thinking this through instead of, you know, um, going into it less prepared and then having to make those decisions on the spot and make, maybe making the decision that's wrong for their body, but better for the photographer potentially. Yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, you guys, I push my dancers hard. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I push them hard. They're sore after. Um, but I'm also a former teacher and I know how to work bodies and I know how, like, at what level I know what I'm looking for when I see the fatigue starting. I'm like, that's it. You're done. Oh, no, I can do one more. No, you're done. Right. Uh, type of thing. Um, and dancers are not always aware of that. They're on an adrenaline high while mm -hmm. we're shooting. They're excited. Oh my God, this is so much fun. Look at that shot. It's going to be so great, right? The adrenaline, more often than not, I see the dancer's bodies dying before they can feel it. Um, and that adrenaline high will have them push through that. Um, so, you know, you asked me a little while ago, what do you wish that they would know? So you got to listen to your body. You and you need to be really mindful. And when it's done, it's done. Like when you can't do any more, you can't do any more because you need to be in class tomorrow, kind of thing. Um, so if you're working with a photographer who's not that uh, savvy, for lack of a better way to say it, then being hyper aware of that, bring a friend. I mean, if you're working with a photographer, 
that I never, uh, it's one of the things in my SMP program, you guys, you have to go with a friend. You never go alone ever. I don't care how old you are. You don't, unless you've worked with that photographer like three, four, five times and you feel comfortable, you just, as us as females, we just like, it's Rachel's rule number 78. Just, you don't go alone. Um, But then that gives you a second set of eyes, right? It helps you to have somebody else to gauge and say like, okay, you've done that 40 times. Like, is it really like, are, is it getting any better or is it not getting better? You know? Um, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I do go along with some of my dancers on their photo shoots. Um, because even if it's a dance photographer, they may not always have the poses in mind. And, and some, a lot of times if I go with them, they're not, their photography specialty is not dance. Um, and so they may not have great poses in mind, or it may not be practical for my dancer because I know her body so well, or the photographer will start taking a picture and I'll say, listen, if we can just move this a little bit, it's going to look. So I, I very much enjoy being that extra set of eyes on the shoot because it is important to have somebody and you've got a whole team and your eye is amazing. Um, watching out for the dancer and being able to see the things like the fatigue setting in, or this is not a great shot for this dancer or, or any of those things. Oh yeah. So, I have that's cheat- great that you said that. I have cheat sheets for the, the photographers that I train. Just, you know, if you're, if you've got wide shoulders, this, if you've got short here, this, if you've got short, a short tibia or a short femur, or like the, it's like the, so other photographers, oftentimes you're absolutely right. Come to the shoe with, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. And it's just not, physically right for that particular dancer and the reason why I'm pointing that particular thing out is because dancers are such people pleasers they'll keep trying and keep trying right right and the dancer needs to know or it would be really helpful for them to know the what really shines on their body as well as what is not the best you know um, and, and to refocus the photographers on what really looks good on them. Again, that takes time and training. You need to be able to work with somebody so that you know, you know, where your strengths and weaknesses are and what, what are your, you know, eventually over time after many shoots, there are many dancers that weren't trained into shooting, um, but just happened to know I, this foot looks better like this, like those types of things. Right. Um, so, but most photographers don't know that. And we'll continue to try to work to and, and push you to it, or maybe they won't push you, but you will push yourself to keep trying to achieve a shot that really, if you just don't have that lateral twist in the spine, the quasi attitude is just like, you, you can try to make size, but like not going to be there to the way you would like it to be there. Do you know what I mean? So having that, having that knowledge in yourself, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine sometimes people have different expectations and they think that, that, you know, they see the beautiful certain shot, like you're saying, like the quasi attitude. Oh, I want, I really want that. But like you said, it's not the right fit for them. Um, So if a dancer can't come to you, how can um, the dancer best find a good photographer that will listen to, to her and bring out the best in her artistry? That's a great question. (laughs) Um, how do you find somebody like that? I've trained a lot of photographers throughout the United States now. Um, so, and as we redesign our website, we will have a listing of who those nice. are and where they are um, coming to you shortly. It's like on the list. It's just not the 911. It's the 908. 
thing. Um, so we will have that that list for you shortly. Um, I think asking, you know, you know what would be really helpful for us to we develop a set of questions for dancers and that you could share on your on your website or blog post or wherever the this podcast is hosted. Um, Great. That would be fabulous. That, that you should be asking before you before you sign on with that, um, or depending on the answers that you get, you know how to work with that particular person. And again, it depends on your target and uh, not your target necessarily, but your um, intention behind the shoot, right? Like uh, if it's if it's what I call a candy shoot, right? You just want some pretty images for Instagram, and it's a celebratory. I made it through the year, yay! That's one thing, and you, the the level of what you're dealing with may or may not necessarily need to be precise. You, you know what I mean? Um, versus if you know, listen, if you've just spent two hundred thousand dollars and ten years of your life training for this, and and you know, that's now you find somebody good. Now you know. That's where we get about 70% of our clients fly into New York to work with us because it's like that's you're putting your entire career on the line because you have to look really good. That's a sea of 5,000 dancers for 20 spots. You know what I mean? Like the artistic directors and ballet masters are weeding through 700 applicants just to get into the audition, just to get right. seen. And that doesn't even get you into the con. That's just for trainee. Like, you know what I mean? The competition is fierce. So that's that's where you don't that's where you don't skimp out. That's where you 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 do it. You do it right. So um, you those questions will be really helpful. But there's the, like you do your research and choose appropriately. Well, and we will put those questions in our notes for the in the liner notes for the podcast and and make sure that we get them up elsewhere because that will be super helpful for us um, to be able to share with our dancers. And I, I agree with you. It's so important. I tell all my dancers when they're moving from pre-professional to trainee or to studio company or whatever that next level is they're trying to do, I always honestly say, go get your headshots, your arabesques and your, and your, you know, personal dance shot with Rachel, because I know company directors look at the photos and I know they can recognize your photos. And I know that they can recognize really good photographers and say, Oh, this person is serious. This person is working hard. They are investing. And first of all, you want a great headshot. You want a great arabesque shot, but then that, other shot, which is the you shot, you need somebody that's going to help get all of that across in one shot. Mm -hmm. So you have to have somebody good to get that across. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's the point where you should be investing in your career. Yeah. And I <laughs> well, mean, is there any, go ahead. Sorry. You know, the artistic directors start to know, you know, it's added bonus for them if they've got people working for them that know how to shoot. It makes mm -hmm. great marketing images. It sells more tickets. You know, uh, unfortunately, it's the other side of the beast. If you have a certain number of following and you can be a draw, you know, um, we don't like to talk about it, but it's a thing. You know, I mean, you're 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 more attractive if you have subsets of skills as right. an employer. Uh, myself being an employer, uh, you know people who come to me and they have subsets of alternate skills that we can utilize in different places of the business. It's very attractive. It's very attractive. So, um, so I do agree. It's an investment that you kind of, you, it's an investment in your career, but it's also an investment in 
having them understand that you take it seriously and that you're, you, 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 you know, you take this other side of the business just as seriously as you do how much turnout you have. Absolutely. Well, is there anything that we have not covered that you wanted to make sure that you talked about today? I wanted to talk about the, um, the need and the, 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 the need for a solid understanding of what your core does in a photo shoot. <laughs> Which you're like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. This will be a whole other podcast. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's do it, right? Let's do it. Um, yes, please. And and that's something that, that's, I, I mean, so many dancers are so used to throwing legs around and tossing into this and tossing into that and let me just do this and let me just do that. And it, I, I, I you know, your ballet teachers talk about this, all of your contemporary teachers talk about this, but if your core is not strong to protect in this, you don't have the ability to use your upper body in an expressive manner because everything is chunked in and it's like, uh, to try to get a shot. But the secondary part of that is that your three parts, really, your lines don't look as good when you're uh, your upper body is tense, nor can you really lengthen through your legs to the length that they really need to be in a photograph if everything is tense. And if I could say one thing about preparing for a shoot, it would not be to diet down, you guys. It would not be to diet down. Can I like pound my fan on the <laughs> table any more than that? It would be to say, I've got a shoot coming up. I'm going to put extra effort into my core, right? From the pelvic, pelvic, what do you call it? Pelvic floor. Pelvic all, floor. Mm-hmm. Right. All the way up to, you know, between the spine, uh, between the shoulder blades, like that whole length in there. That's what you need to focus on before you come in. Um, because without without that, we can't lengthen. It's mm-hmm. so so important and uh, healthfully, for sure. Right, right. And I would add to that that um, so many people think working your core is like doing crunches, <laughs> and it's not. It just makes you tighter and more restricted. So not just working your core, but understanding you can exercise the muscles, but if you don't figure out how to use them in the class and in the movement it's pointless. Um, when people say they want a higher développé, I say, well, what does your core look like? Because I don't care how high you can lift your leg. We have to work on stabilizing your pelvis before your leg can go higher. I'm like, so, yes. So it's about, if you've got a six pack that I can see, well, what's it doing? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it's crossing that line between the gym workout or your crunches in your room into the studio and then into a, a performance situation like the photography studio, because, and for me, I talk about it as your center and how you can kind of collect your center and let your body move around it yeah. and have this energy that you move around um, and finding that fluidity of movement through the stability of that center. That's the tricky part. Dancers are like, I need to exercise this muscle. Okay. But that it's that more complex transition into actually being able to use it through a movement. For a reason. Nobody talks about that. That is the key. How many times have I shot an arabesque where they were like, I just need to pull up my stomach. I'm like, well, can we talk about that? Because if you're bending in the opposite direction, how like, yes, we want you to be held and strong, but like second, it's like, it's like oxymoronic that inhibits the motion and movement. But so how do we 
lengthen and strengthen and hold, but whilst being in motion. That is a conversation that I don't hear often enough. I would mm -hmm. love to, I would, if you haven't already podcast on that, I would love you to. <laughs> and then we will broadcast it to everybody that comes in my studio. <laughs> well, and Arabesque is the same way. If people want to hire Arabesque, the first thing we have to do is figure out how to support from the front in a fluid way yeah. and how to use your leg rather than your back to start to maximize what you're trying to get out of it and not just crank into your lower back. Right. So yes, we could talk about this for another two hours. Um, <laughs> but like you said, that is a podcast for another day. And that that has given us a great idea. Um, is there you definitely do need to talk about that? Because the, the other I just want to add really quickly that the more hypermobile you are, the stronger that you need your true core muscle muscles to be right. not right. like you said, not your six pack, but, you know, and I think there's a lot of misconception that because people can do all kinds of other things that therefore they must have a strong core. And I have watched lots and lots of dancers in class and, and, you know, and rehearsal and worked with that where you can tell that they're not able to stabilize their spine. in like you said, Jen, in that fluid way that you need to be able to, but, but so that you, so that you're um, working with, with your hypermobility and not just relying on it you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Going back for 40 years when I was training, I'm, I'm hope I'm, I am hypermobile. I'm a bendy girl. Um, as I, or Gumby as I actually use the term Gumby in my, mm -hmm. um, and we did tons of cross training and hardcore strengthening, but then it comes time to put that in action and it's not the conversation. Right. You know, it never was the conversation. It was, you need to do more sit-ups. You need to do more, right. more Pilates, more core work. And that's one thing. But if you can't transition that into what we're just talking about here, I mean, that, and that's where, uh, that's where the injury prevention right there. And you get better and stronger and are more fluid and expressive dancer, right? That's, it's just so hard. It's so hard to, right. from my perspective of, to thinking in my body and being in my body, like how, how to work with that. So I really, really would encourage you. I really want that podcast. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> we may put that, put out uh, a workshop for that instead for Benny yeah, bodies. That, that might be a great a, idea. That would be a, that would be a business tip of the day. We could demonstrate on video <laughs> and, and all of that that's stuff. Right. That would be amazing. I, that Rachel would... is expiring us <laughs> because, because what's the point if you, if you get good lower abs, but you can't apply it to those devlapes at the start of white swan, what's the point, right? Why do why do you have those lower abs except mm -hmm. to say I've got great lower abs, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, this has been fantastic. Where can people find you? Uh, where can people find me here? I'm in New York. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, uh, we're at rachelnevel.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, no longer at Rachel Neville photo that got, uh, our Instagram feed, which, uh, was a strong source of where people were easy and able to find us, um, was hacked and disappeared last month. So we're now over at Rachel Neville studios. Um, and then my personal is Rachel underscore underscore Neville. Um, on Instagram, we're on Clubhouse, we're on Facebook, but nobody's really on Facebook anymore. Um, uh, yeah, we're kind of everywhere. We're kind of everywhere. Yeah. Excellent. 
Perfect. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. This was actually incredibly fun. And I just can't wait to have that training be available to dancers. <laughs> following up with you next week. Like, people need this. People need this. Listen, yeah. when my dancers schedule a time with you in New York, when, when they set up some time to, to fly up to meet you, I'm like, how stupid would it be for me to fly and come along just so I can go to the photo shoot with you? And they're like, do it, which of course I never do, but I've oh, always wanted gosh. to sit in on one of What's your shoots. What's happening now because of, uh, of the, the, what, what, uh, sort of developed in our studio over the last year. I had a uh, really couple of large commercial shoots last year. Um, and the, um, we, in order to, accommodate clients that were in different parts of the world that couldn't fly in for the shoot as they normally would do. We have a whole system for doing things remote. So we often do shoots via Zoom. I don't shoot via Zoom. Um, there are other people that do that, but like mm -hmm. having you be a fly on the wall while we're shooting, we can absolutely do that. I want to do that. So cool. Oh my gosh. I want to do that. <laughs> I, I really want to fly there and be there, but I mean, in, right? in the meantime, in the meantime, yeah, that would be amazing. That's yeah, so cool. Absolutely. Yes, I would love to do that. <laughs> we can absolutely hook you up with that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That would be fabulous. You have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. Today, we have been speaking with Rachel Neville, New York City-based commercial dance and movement photographer. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Bendy Bodies and for sharing your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. This is great. We really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Bendy Bodies YouTube channel as well. Thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. Visit our website, www.bendybodies.org, for more information. For a limited time, you could win an autographed copy of the popular textbook, Disjointed, Navigating the Diagnosis and Management of Hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and Hypermobility Spectrum Disorders, just by sharing what you love about the Bendy Bodies podcast. On Instagram, tag us at bendy underscore bodies and on Facebook at Bendy Bodies Podcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This podcast is intended for general education only and does not constitute medical advice. Your own individual situation may vary. Do not make any changes without first seeking your own individual care from your physician. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies Podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.